get started here. All right. Thank you all for uh, joining us here this morning. It's awesome to be back in one service all together here. It's kind of fun. One quick correction on the announcements that Jeff did is um, he said I uh, promised not to spit on people in the front row, and I never said that. I, there's no no guarantees there. So, um, but anyways, uh, so it's been a quite an exciting week related to the elections. Um, one thing I, I am, am really glad about is that there's no more no more commercials on TV, right? Now now we can get on with yes, that's good. Now we get on with Christmas commercials. Yeah, I've been just taking up space for Christmas commercials. Um, but you know, and obviously with the results of the election, there's some people that are that are happy out there with the results. Some people that are sad. We'll talk uh, we'll talk about that a little more later here. Um, one thing I know, regardless of how you feel about the election at a national level, um, we do know that the state of Colorado is going to pot in a hurry. So it's uh, wow. I'm here all morning, folks. So, uh, good. Anyways, uh, uh, another, maybe there's an announcement that kind of relates, maybe not as political, but uh, today is a special day. Some of you might know what day it is. It is uh, Veterans Day today, I believe. Is that right? Okay, good. Well, uh, just making sure. Um, but we thought we'd just take a moment. I think there's a few veterans in our midst here that we might just uh, thank them for their service and stuff. If you're a, a veteran of our military services, would you mind standing? up for a moment just to give them a round of applause. I think there's some floating around here somewhere. Anyone? We definitely appreciate your service there and uh, we'll also just include prayers for our, all our military here when we get started. So uh, Anyways, we'll just take a moment to, to pray again and ask God to meet us here. We're going to be talking about our vision here and um, kind of where God might want to take us. And so it's, I think I'm excited for this series of just getting to share our heart with you. Um, each one of us as pastors is going to share and also some, some of the small group leaders in our church are going to share as well just some things we've been uh, discovering as we see God together on His vision for, for this church. And so I'm excited. But we'll go ahead and pray and we'll jump into that. So. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just look to you again this morning. We um, we do thank you for for those that are serving uh, in the military of this country. I pray that you would protect them, keep them safe, watch over them uh, as as they seek to serve this nation. God, I pray that you would help us to to be a nation that is one nation under God. Lord, we do pray for the authorities that are in place for this country, God, that you would help them to carry out your will on earth, Lord, through, through the position and the roles that you've given them. And Lord, help us to be men and women who pray for them and who also uh, just carry out your will in, in our lives, Lord. And so um, we look to you today, I, I pray you would speak to our hearts, that some of these verses might be familiar uh, and some of them might not, but I, I pray that... Each one of us would hear from you. I think of the, the verses that say, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. God, help us to hear your voice today. You give us an expectation that we might hear your voice today. Help us not to harden our hearts, but to respond with love and faith and obedience in whatever you want each one of us to do. And so we just turn this time over to you, to your spirit. Um, just ask for your grace in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, you know, as it relates to uh, vision here, again, we're just going to talk you through some things. I feel like God has started us on a vision journey. I want to share some milestones of the journey as it relates to, to my perspective on it all. I know um, a few things, but uh, so some of you might remember this past summer. I think we started talking about seeking God to answer some staffing questions related to our church. Like, God, you know, who's the next full-time pastor going to be? We, we feel a need for that. And, and we got into things. Also, we've done ministry teams. Some of you filled out uh, surveys on how to serve and build the body of Christ on ministry teams. And we, we've been chewing on all of that. But as we kept chewing on it, I think we... Um, we got a sense that uh, those are all important things and they're all things that we feel like we want to move forward on, take action on. Um, but we also feel like God has, has led us to figure out 
what in the heck we're trying to do in the first place, you know? Um, we've got this really cool building in this really cool and hipster neighborhood, and now we're trying to figure out uh, what, it, what is a hipster anyways. I don't know, you know. I know. Some of you know better than others, but um, I love, I read a description recently of a hipster. The image of a hipster is someone who uh, tries to be cool without, it's, it's the idea of being cool by being uncool. Does that make sense? Uh, if you don't understand, ask, ask Greg Durkin about that. That's been his, uh, that's been his, his M.O. for a while. He was hipster before hipster was cool. Was, uh, so on the other side, you know that we also, though, live in a neighborhood full of professionals. And professionals actually care about their image and they try to be cool because it's cool to be cool if you're a professional, right? And so we have a mix of all these different things here. But anyways, we're on this journey of trying to figure out what God wants us to be in the midst of it. Um, I know in the deacon uh, class, uh, the New Testament deacon book we studied uh, for the men's time, it opened up a, a chapter for me as a part of this journey that was, um, we talked about Genesis uh, Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel and how there was this whole scenario there that these guys were working together with one language and they set out for one goal and they had one strategy and God said, you know, this common language, this common goal, this common strategy, you know, nothing stop them. And, and he had to intervene. Nothing but him could stop them. But they had an uncommon potential. And I started thinking about, well, how, how good are we doing it in our common vocabulary, in our common goal and strategy and things like that? And, and I feel like that was one of the, the seeds that was planted in my heart related to this all. Um, we sat down with John Meyer a couple, it's probably been almost two months ago, and he's a regional pastor here, some of you know, but he, he came and we did an overnighter here at the church and we just started praying and trying to hash out God, what, what do you have for us now? Now that we're in this building, now that we've got it all souped up and, and looking cool, what do you want us to do? And, and the journey began. We started reading a couple books together. We've mentioned those to you as well. One is called A Gospel-Centered Discipleship. It was a really thought-provoking book on, on how the gospel should be integrated not only into salvation, but into the whole Christian life, into sanctification as well, becoming more like Christ. We read a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything, and it's a it's profound, even just in the title, I guess. That's, um, but, but anyways, we're going to be sharing some of these things. Another book, uh, book that I've been reading along the way is one called... Um, it's called Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And it just talks about the importance of vision and things like that. And I want to share a few things from that. Uh, as we've been reading those books, obviously we've been reading this crazy book called The Bible. You know, that's a good one too. And uh, the, these other books were, were good in that uh, they unfolded and illuminated some of these verses that we might be familiar with. And so that's been great. Uh, reading through the book of Colossians while reading a book about Colossians was really cool. It's a good one to punch. Uh, some things in Thessalonians really stood out to me and Timothy and, um, but I'm going to share something one of the things that I've come away with is just the importance of vision um, and then share a few thoughts related to that this is a verse we shared uh, probably a number of weeks ago but where there is no vision the people are unrestrained I think it's what it says in the, the NAS another one says where there's no vision or revelation uh, the people perish and so there's an importance of having a vision that keeps us going in the direction God wants us to go it keeps people from wandering off being unrestrained it keeps them from wandering off the cliff and perishing in a lot of ways. And, and so vision is important. Um, I love this quote from, uh, from Andy Stanley as he's talking about vision. He just says, having vision, it kind of being, brings clarity to what would otherwise be mundane. You know, and it's kind of like the Christian life. We can be, uh, you know, what he says here, it's the difference between filling bags of dirt and building a dike to save a town. You know, sometimes the, the Christian life could be like, oh, I'm putting dirt in a bag and it seems like a good thing. Maybe it's I'm sharing the gospel. Maybe I'm trying to share my testimony. I'm doing something good. But unless I see it's a part of the bigger picture, it's kind of just like putting, putting dirt in bags. And we're a part of something bigger. We're a part of... Uh you know, not only putting dirt in bag, we want to save the city, we want to save this neighborhood, we want to be a part of seeing the world saved. We are a part of something bigger, whether you realize it or not, whether life seems mundane and monotonous or, or not. But um, anyway, there's that quote. He goes on to say, just four things that vision can give us is passion. Once you know what you're doing, you can be passionate about it. When you know what you're doing, you, it, it 
It motivates you. It makes you want to wake up in the morning and go, hey, look, I'm not just putting dirt in the bag again. I'm a part of saving the world. And it's a big deal. Uh, it can give us direction as you're trying to decide things. You go, well, I have got a vision that should affect my decisions today. Uh, it can give us purpose and help us prioritize what we're trying to do in life. And so there's some things that vision gives us as well. Um, he uses the definition of vision as a picture of what could and should be. It's a picture of what could be and what even should be. That's a great description of vision. Uh, he also uses this. Uh, it's a picture of a, a preferred future. Here's what things are like and here's what we would like them to look like down the road. And so those are some things related to vision. The last thing I would share related to that is just uh, in, in this, this one book, he just talks about a vision often starts with a burden. If you feel a burden for something, you figure out how do we fix this, how do we do something better, and that leads to God coming through with a, a solution to, to the problem, something to meet the burden, you know. And so, um, you know, that's, that's some of the journey I've been on personally. I think as pastors and leaders, we've all been on different facets of this journey together. It's going to be exciting to hear just each person's perspective as we go. Next week, I think it's Jeff and Jeremy Triggs. Uh, then I, the week after that is... Someone and someone, and then someone and someone else after that. But uh, you know, we're going to have a uh, Rob. Uh, Rob will share, and Tim will share, and Greg and Brad, and we're just going to go through a whole bunch of sharing some of the things that God has put on our hearts together as we seek Him. And I think it's it's going to be awesome here. But these again, these are some of the things that God has put on my heart. These are some of the things I can feel. You know, I do feel like sometimes in the work of a pastor that I am putting dirt in bags. And I'm trying to be a good example. I want to be sharing my faith, reaching out to people so I can be an example to others. But sometimes I can miss, is this really counting for saving a city? Much less saving the world, you know? Is this really making a difference? And I know it's the right thing to do and it's what I want to give my life to, but without that vision, I can go, boy, this is kind of similar day after day, week after week. And uh, we've talked to people in the church before. I was meeting with a group of, uh, as pastors, we met with some people in the church that uh, they really had this sentiment and, and they were leaders. And they're kind of going, we don't know what our vision is. And we're leading these people, you know, and then go, okay, yeah, that's, wow. Um, we're doing a great job leading as pastors, right? Uh, uh, another, I heard this quote before, I feel like a hamster in a hamster wheel. I don't know. Anyone, anyone feel like a hamster in a hamster wheel? You get up in the morning, you hop in the wheel and just keep going and tucker yourself out, go to bed at night and do the whole hamster wheel again. Uh, you, you feel like that? One of you feels like that because I'm quoting you. Um, <laughs> but uh, others, uh, that same thing. You know, and sometimes I ask the question, I go, well, how are we doing as a church? we got the, the metrics for how successful a church is. They haven't changed over the years. There's a lot of the basic things we look at. One is how many people are coming to Christ? How many people are responding to the good news about Jesus? Followed by, well, how many of those who respond to the good news receive Him into their lives? How many of them want to go public and identify with Him and get baptized? Well, you know, how's that going? I'm... A quick pitch for that. Next worship night in December, we're going to do another round of baptisms. I know at least one guy that wants to get baptized, and if any, anyone else is ready to get baptized next worship night, we'll sign you up. But anyways, how's that going? How are new disciples going? Sometimes we go, yeah, we're doing pretty good at discipleship, I've heard it said. Well, you know, really the idea of making disciples is it's not like making the disciples you have better. The, the real content, uh, connotations are we're making new disciples. And, and how many new disciples are being added to our, our mix? And sometimes uh, as a pastor, you know, um, one of the epidemics across the U.S. right now is there's a lot of uh, transfer growth that happens from one church to another. That people transfer from here to there. They move because of jobs or they hear, wow, that church over there is really cool. They've got a great teacher. They've got a great whatever. And, and people transfer here and there and growth kind of comes and goes. But across the board, many are, are noticing that there's not a lot of new disciples being added. And, and that burdens my heart because, well, that's, that's what I want to see. That's what I thought I signed up for. Um, you know, so the question becomes, well, what do we do? We're seeing, here's what's going on. And I, I'm blessed by our church, and I feel like we have been adding people, and there have been salvations. Would I like to see more? Sure, I would. A lot more? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, what do we do? What do we do about that? I know at one point we talked about, well, we can't determine who gets saved and who gets becomes new disciples. All we can do is share. We've got to sow the gospel more and more. And that's true. How are we doing at sowing? 
not as good as I'd like it to be in my own life and in, in your lives. Um, all these we can grow in, but ultimately we go, okay, here's what's happening. Here's reality. Now what? And I think there's two major options that we can do at this point. One is, well, here's the deal. Let's change the mission. Boy, we're sure not seeing that happen like I'm expecting. And let's come up with a new mission. How about the new mission is let's make a church that's just really cool. Or maybe just have a church that's really fun. Wow, I went to their church. It's really fun. They don't say anything controversial. They all just, you know, have, have a lot of fun all the time. They're excited that Colorado smokes pot now legally. Um, you know, that's... Uh, I, I would not be surprised if it would be some church that's also a dispensary that happens out there somewhere. I don't know. But so either we change the mission or, or we kind of stick with the mission we've been giving. You know, and as I understand it, God has never changed the mission. You know, sometimes a mission is an overflow of a burden. You know why we have the Great Commission? Because God is burdened by the people that will be going to hell without His Son. That's why we have this mission. We didn't think it up randomly, arbitrarily. God said, here's what's on my heart. And if you're following me, here's what should be on your heart. The mission has never changed. Um, and we need to make sure as a church, we're going, wow, isn't this cool hipster? Maybe we should have a hipster mission. Well, I don't know. I don't think Jesus ever changed his mind. I think he thought all these people need to be saved. Now, you figure out how to get it to the professionals. And you figure out how to get it to the hipsters. And you figure out how to get it to the teenagers. And, and we've got to reach all of them. The mission hasn't changed. But I do think we need a, a round of clarifying the mission and, and kind of seeing the same old mission more clearly, maybe with some greater depth and, and more practical steps than we've ever had before. And I, I do get a sense of that's what we have. Um, we do have to figure out that, you know, how to make more disciples. And so, um, let me see here. Um, you know, sometimes like they say, the... Um, you know, it's a picture of, of what could and should be or a picture of a preferred future. Well, I know in seeking God so far, myself and the other pastors and leaders we've been kind of seeking God together with, none of us has, none of us has gotten this vision of like, ooh, you know, I see it. It's, it's the church full of people that look really cool, a lot of tattoos, cool bikes, and it's just overflowing. We have multiple services of that, and it's just, I had this picture at night, the other night. I just woke up and I was like, whoa. Well, none of us have seen that picture. Uh, none of us knows what it is supposed to look like. I don't know. Well, my co-pastors don't know. The small group leaders don't know. Um, but you know one thing I do know? I feel like God has been clarifying. I don't know what the picture is going to look like, but I feel like God has reminded me of what the brush strokes are going to be like that will paint the picture of this church. What the future will look like is determined by some brush strokes that God has for us that are very clear. And we're going to talk about four of those this morning. And we're going to send you on your way to go pray and ruffle with it all week long and, and let Jeremy and Jeff clean up next week for what happens here. But, um, but anyways, here's, the, here's the four of these brush strokes or brushes or something that I believe God is going to use to paint the picture of this church. And what it's going to look like, it's really up to Him. But one of them has to do with this. Uh, we need to grasp and share the good news about Jesus. We need to grasp the good news about Jesus in a way that we either never have before or a way that's like the first time we heard the good news. Somehow we need to have a grasp of it that, that we just can't help but share. Kind of like your, the first love of Christ experience that some of you might have had, that I had. Um, you know, one of the verses that's not changed in our mission, Jesus said this to His disciples, "...go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." The New American, the NIV says, preach the good news to all creation. Men and women, we are about getting this message out to everyone everywhere, like the Living Bible says on this one here. And so, but we've got to figure out what is the good news. We did a whole series on what makes the good news so good. And after we did that, five weeks on that, I feel like we, I don't even know if we scratched on the surface. After reading a couple of these books that just um, talk about the depth that we should have in understanding the gospel that should motivate us and change us, I don't even know if we hit the tip of the iceberg in five weeks. And, and I think we do need a greater grasp about that. You know, and, and again, the gospel is it's all about the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, um, it's about the loving, the overwhelming, the unfailing, the undeserved, the unchanging grace of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be reminded of that. We've got to be, I think, recaptured by that. You know, I think some of you have heard the song before by Steel Crosswhite. Anyone ever heard Captured by Grace? 
That's back, I don't know, it's probably a couple albums ago for Seal. But I was thinking maybe we should write him and, and ask him to do a new song called Recaptured by Grace. You know, or just modify, you know, instead of Captured by Grace, Recaptured by Grace, when this whole world's going to pot. Um, you know, something to just bring it up to date a little bit, but to re- be recaptured by this amazing, undeserved love that God has shown us through Jesus. And I need that. And it's likely that you need that as well. Um, again, the gospel is about introducing people to Jesus. Sometimes the gospel can be a set of doctrinal facts. Here's the facts about Jesus, and we can read people the riot act. Here's the facts about you. Here's the facts about Jesus. You know, read between the lines. Okay, now let's get on your way. You got the gospel. But the gospel is about introducing people to a person. It's not just the facts. And he's a gracious person. And, uh, you know, we've got to catch that. But uh, I love this uh, quote here from, it was just in a publication that we probably should pass out at some point. It's back by the soundboard. But uh, it's this uh, quarterly publication by our, our uh, Association of Churches. But it says this about the, co- the gospel. It just says, one, one quote was, It doesn't take a perfect church to introduce a man to the perfect Christ. We don't have to be the perfect church to introduce someone to the perfect Christ. That's what the gospel is all about, introducing someone to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I just know as these different guys share, that's something that we're going to be sharing about a lot. Um, You know, we share this analogy. We need to get a better grasp of His grace. I think once we, we grasp how much He loves us, how much He's given us, through what Jesus did, I think it causes us to, we can't help but share with others with confidence and passion and, and I think even a greater effect. I'm going to just close this point with what we talked about a little bit on worship night here. Because of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're getting an A in the Christian life. You know, and uh, some of you might not have been here at worship night, so I'm going to share this. Uh, one of the illustrations we read, I feel like this book... Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Has some great verses, great thoughts. I'd say the whole book was worth this uh, this analogy here. I'll read it to you from the book. I paraphrased it worship night. I, I probably butchered it. I got calls from their publisher about it. But um, um, I'm going to share, just read this passage here. And I'm sorry, some of you guys that wanted to share this, Jeremy, Rob, I don't know. I got to it first. So that's uh, it's good to start things off here. Um, but they might reiterate this as we go. But this is, this guy tells this story about understanding the grace of Jesus Christ. And he says it's, it's like this, uh, this dad that had a daughter that was in this English class. And it, she really felt like after the first day of class, the teacher scared the heck out of her, she went home with tears going, I'm in the wrong class. And, and I'll just read what he, what he had to say when he met with the teacher here. It just said, um, uh, she, the head of the English department, looked up and saw me standing there with my daughter and could tell that Robin was about to cry. There were some students standing around and, and because the teacher didn't want Robin to be embarrassed, she dismissed the students saying, uh, I want to talk to these people alone. As soon as the students left and the door was closed, Robin began to cry. That's his, his uh, middle school daughter. Um, uh, let's see. I said, I'm here to get my daughter out of that English class. It's too difficult for her. The problem with my daughter is that she's too conscientious. conscientious. So, um, so I, can I put her into a regular English class? The teacher said, Mr. Brown, I understand. Then she looked at Robin and said, can I talk to, to Robin for a minute? I said, sure. Uh, she said, Robin, I know how you feel. What if I promised you an A no matter what you did in the class? If I gave you an A before you even started, would you be willing to take the class? My daughter is not dumb. Uh, she started sniffling and said, well, I think I could do that. Um, the teacher said, I'm going to give you an A in the class. You already have an A, so you can go to the class. Later, the teacher explained to Steve, the dad, on what she had done. She explained how she took away the threat of a bad grade so that Robin could learn English literature. Robin ended up making straight A's on her own in in that class. That's how God deals with us. Because of Christ's finished work, Christians already have an A. The threat of failure, judgment, and condemnation has been removed. We're in forever. Nothing Nothing we do will make our grade better. Nothing we do will make our grade worse. By, in His life, by His death, with His resurrection, Christ our substitute secured for us the everything, the A that we came into this world longing for and yet are incapable of securing for ourselves. All the pardon, the approval, the purpose, the freedom, the rescue, the meaning, the righteousness, the cleansing, the significance, the worth, and the affection we crave and need are already ours in Christ. 
We don't need to add anything to it. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian. The unconditional, unqualified, undeserved, unrestrained grace of God in the completed work of Christ. You know, so um, I think as we're grasping this, I just want to let you know, do you know, do you realize that if you look to Jesus Christ, you are getting an A in a Christian life, an A+. You're getting the grade that He earned by His perfect and righteous life. He said, hey, look, I'll take your failures, your bad grades on me. I'll take the punishment, the blame, the shame for them. And here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you my life, the A-plus life. Uh, that is awesome, isn't it? That's the undeserved grace of God. And, and I think it's just like, you know, I think of my own daughter. Sometimes we give her assignments in, in homeschooling, my oldest daughter, and sometimes I can just tell when she goes, oh my gosh, I can't do this. That's way too much. And she just, her spirit sinks, her heart sinks. But sometimes you, you can catch that and you can kind of give her the same sort of scenario. And when she knows, you know what, hey, oh, if, I, if I fail, if I don't do right, if I don't get it all done... My parents are still going to love me. They're still going to cheer me on. And she peps right up and she does everything that she would have done anyway, what she needed to do anyways. But I feel like we're so often like that as well. But I encourage you to chew on that, think on that, that Jesus has done everything that you needed to get an A, a perfect A in the Christian life. Isn't, isn't that awesome? Do you get that? Do you understand that? That's, that's what grace is all about. And I think we need to catch that and figure out then, oh, wow, that means I can... That means I can try a little harder. We shared this at the worship night the other night, and the next day I read this verse in the one-year Bible that I thought catches this as well. Hebrews 9, 9, 14, um, second sentence, 914 b It says, His sacrifice frees us from the worry of having to obey the old rules and makes us want to serve the living God. You know, the old arrangement was we had to do it, we had to perform, or else we would die. And Jesus died, and now we can go, you know what, Jesus died, He paid for all that. Now I can do this because I want to please my Savior. The whole new motivation, and I think it will bring about a whole new set of results as far as getting the good news out. Once we realize it, it really is good news, it's amazing news. And anyway, that's one of the brush strokes. Um, we'll keep moving on here. Let's see here. Another brush stroke is that I do think we need to be um, and to make disciples of Jesus. You know, um some ways I've been wrestling with the vocabulary of it all. What is the good news and how do we preach it? That command hasn't changed. Go preach the good news to all creation. What is the good news? The grace of Jesus Christ. And how do we preach that? Well, once we understand that, you just you get out there and you proclaim that. You tell people about it. It should be like a one-two punch, you know. But the other question is, um, it's related to this verse. It's Like I said, it's seeing some of the, the old verses more clearly. But... Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, I think there's a, somewhere along the way in our mission of making disciples, I think we've, we've kind of maybe missed it's disciples, well, disciples of Jesus. You know, I think sometimes there's this idea, if you've been in the church long enough, you just make disciples. And discipleship just becomes a part of your, your daily vocabulary. You know, yeah, I'm discipling so-and-so, I'm being discipled, I'm making this, whatever, you know. And uh, I, I think in the familiarity of it all, we might be missing, well, who in the world are we supposed to be making disciples of in the first place? What does that even mean? What does that look like? You know, um, one of the things, we talked about the election, and sometimes I think people can get really fired up. You know, the goal of the Jesus gave people was, you know, he could have said, hey, Get out there and make more Republicans. What this world needs is more Republicans, right? We need more conservatives out there. He could have said something, you know, something else. Little, you know, hey, we need more followers of Barack Hussein Obama. That's what we need. That'll change the world. Join the club. No, what did he say? And what are we about? We need more disciples of Jesus Christ. And that is way beyond political and financial views of life. It is something that I think we've lost sight of in a lot of ways. You know, Jesus said this. This is a, one of the classic verses when I think about being a disciple of Jesus. It's um, John eight thirty one. It says, To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you really are My disciples. Uh, another version says, You know, if you continue in My Word, you are truly disciples of Mine. Sometimes we let other things get more important to us than being disciples of Jesus. 
And, and we need to make sure we catch that again. Uh, one of the books we were reading just reminded me of something I knew from the past, but uh, the, the word disciple is used to describe a follower of Christ about 269 times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used. The word Christian is used about three times. And uh, do you think God was trying to communicate something? There's an importance in making disciples that's easy for us to miss. And a disciple, you know, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to them? What it means to Jesus, I think, is what we've got to figure out. I think we need to rediscover the true identity of a disciple of Jesus. Figure out what a disciple is and how to make them. But they are disciples of Jesus. Not just his teachings. A lot of times we go, I've got the teachings of Jesus. You know, here we go. Let's just obey these. Let's carry them out. But you know, Jesus also said, he said this at one point, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus doesn't want us just to follow a set of teachings. He's like, hey, I've given you the scrolls and take them to the ends of the earth. Jesus is still a teacher today. Uh, he's still looking for students today. Are you a student of Jesus? you got something bigger in your life. you got a bigger priority, a bigger cause that you're a part of, because we need to be about the cause of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and I hope that, I think that's a brushstroke God wants us to catch. What is that disciple and how do we make them? Today, you know, to follow Jesus today, we, we talked about in the past that Jesus was, you know, he designed it in his wisdom that, you know, imagine if Jesus was alive today, you figure out, okay, where does Jesus go to church on Sunday? Because that's where I want to go. Um, and, but, but imagine if people started to follow Jesus, you know. Uh, once it got past probably a million followers or something like that, it would just be hard to follow Jesus around, practically speaking, right? It would be like... It is over there somewhere. Somebody said they saw him. What did he say? I don't know. I couldn't hear. Um, but people just follow him all over the world. But no, God decided that in his wisdom to follow Jesus is going to be mean, mean to be led by his spirit. Because when you come to believe in Jesus and the gospel, you receive his spirit into your life, into your heart, to follow him in a very close and intimate and personal way. I love that uh, the Faith Walkers devotional today and, and yesterday it's talking about the Holy Spirit and our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to grow in this as a church. One of the chapters or two of the chapters we read in one of these books just talked about entirely about the Holy Spirit and how we are led by the Spirit, how we are filled by the Spirit, how we are to walk in the Spirit, and how we're supposed to be sensitive and obedient to the Spirit. And all of us as pastors and leaders are going, you know, Wow, I could probably do that better. How about the rest of the church, you know? And, and I, think, um, I think God has something for us in this. Being a disciple of Jesus, someone who becomes more aware of His Spirit and what He wants done and what He doesn't want done, things that please Him and don't please Him. And um, You know, sometimes uh, I think we've defined making disciples as meeting with people. You know, we ask the question, oh, are you meeting with anybody? Yeah, I'm meeting with people. Okay, I guess we're making disciples. But you know what I've found is there's a lot of times we can meet with people and nothing about following Jesus more closely can come of that time. You know, some other places we might just call it, well, I got coffee with someone. Well, someone else might say, well, I discipled somebody. And it's like, well, no, all you did was drink coffee and talked about life. You didn't even talk about me. Um, you know, and yeah, meeting with people is a, probably a requirement for making disciples. I got a publication recently in my uh, email box of just the navigators who... You know, um, some of you know the Navigators organization. They invented discipleship, if you didn't know about that. Um, no, just joking. They were just founded here this last, uh, last century. But anyways, um, but they do discipleship really well. You know, they just talk about you reach someone, you teach them the Christian life, teach them how to reach someone, and, and they're all about multiplying. And one of the guys said, here's three simple steps for making a disciple. And he just shared, well, you've got to spend time with them. You're trying to make a disciple of something, you do have to spend time with them, coffee or something. You need to share the word with them. God's word changes lives. Are you sharing God's word with them to help them follow Jesus more closely? And you've got to pray for them. And he just laid out three simple steps, and I go, those are good steps, but if you don't have the goal of helping someone in the relationship with God through the teachings of Jesus Christ, through the spirit of Jesus Christ, you could miss the whole boat. And I'm afraid... We've had a lot of meetings with people that I don't know if they're all the better in following Jesus Christ. And, and I think we could all grow in this. And I'm excited to see what God wants to bring about here in my life and, and in your life. We need to be on mission with Jesus. This kind of overflows in, into the next point here as well. That um, you know, At the end of the Great Commission, this is probably, for me at least, it's one of the most overlooked verses 
in Jesus' final commands of reaching the world with the gospel, make disciples, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And by the way, I'm with you. I'm with you on this journey. And I think we can, we need to be reminded of that. Um, I think about in the, the Christian life sometimes, you know, even in this whole vision series, you know, one of the, the goals of vision is to try to figure out, you know, the one, who are we and where are we going? Once we answer the question, where are we going? Well, then we just get on with the mission, right? But there's a, there's a problem with that. Um, vision often tries to answer, where are we going? I think once we know where we're going, if, if God said, Firehouse Church, this is where you're going, gave us a vision statement, I think there's two responses that could happen from that. One is that some of the go-getter, the organized people will go, like, okay, that's where we're going, let's figure out, let's start cranking, you know, here's how we get there. We're going. You know, meet you in heaven, Jesus. So we're going. We got a mission. Other people go, oh my gosh, that's way too much. I'd be a little bit like, I don't even know where to start. I just fall down and start crying or something. I don't know. But there's two different responses there. But you know, I think we have to be careful on this. Um, try to get there on our own. Maybe not try it all. Go. That vision is too big. I I just need to go. All right, let's get back to the Breckenridge seasonal release. The Christmas ale is out awesome. You know, um, uh, this other stuff is just too overwhelming. Um, but, but Jesus, I think, cares more about, you know, I think of the Proverbs. Some of you might know Proverbs 20, 24. Um, something along the lines of the Lord's directing your steps. How then can you know where you're going? We want to know where we're going. Jesus, tell me where we're headed. That's what this disciple did here. He was talking to Jesus at one point in this passage here. Um, you know, it says, as they were walking along the road, this is uh, Luke 9, 57, 58, um, but it says, they are walking along the road, a man said to him, he said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Oh, I'm in. But I think the next sentence had, it probably got lost in translation or something, but my guess is the next sentence was, so where are we going? And what did Jesus say? Well, here's the deal. Foxes have holes where they go to at night and they return, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go. The real question is, are you coming with me? And I think sometimes we want to know, where are we supposed to go, Jesus? We'll go do it. You want us to be a professional church? We'll do it. You want us to be hipster? We'll do it. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not about where we're going. My question is, are you coming with me? And we'll figure out how to get there. I'm often reminded that Rick Whitney was in a couple weeks back, and he reminded me of one of the points he gave us back when we were planting this church. He gave us the, the church planner's list of 20 things to do or whatever. But one of them, he said this was, uh, enjoy the journey. Sometimes, aren't we so anxious to get there? Boy, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And I think Jesus is saying, hey, are you coming with? And if you're coming, are you going to sit back and enjoy the journey with me for a while? We can get so amped up on, where are we going? What are we supposed to do? And he's like, he's coming with. That's the question you've got to answer. Do you want to come with me or not? Where we're going? You know, it would blow your mind if you knew where we're going. You know, imagine if Peter and some of them knew where they were going. Peter, follow me. You're going to die crucified upside down on the cross. Come on, it's going to be fun. You know, no, he just said, Peter, follow me. And, and, you know, don't worry about John over there. He's going to get fried in oil, but you follow me. But, you know, sometimes we want to know where we're going. And I think as we seek God in general, he's given us some ideas of where we're going, but he's also really wanting to know, are you coming with? Pastors, are you coming with me? Small group leaders, are you coming with? People in this church, are you coming with Jesus? Or have you got other expectations, higher priorities, bigger fish to fry? Well, not if you want to follow Jesus, you know. And so that's, that's his question. Jesus wants to go with him, not just for him. That's one of the brush strokes that I think we're going to have to figure out. How do we do this with Jesus? I'm reminded, I told the, the guys in one of our meetings the other night, there's a, a place in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is talking about, he told the disciples, hey, I want you to go across the other side of the lake, I'll meet you there, whatever. And so they're rowing, and it says they rowed through the night, and the wind was blowing against them. It seems like, if you read the, the parallel versions in the Gospel, it seems like they rowed all night long. Eventually it says Jesus walked to them on the water, got in the boat and it says, like, immediately they arrived at the shore. And sometimes I feel like that as a pastor on a boat, rowing and rowing. And we're, we're, we're having services, we're trying to have small groups, we're, we're rowing, we're working hard, I don't know if we're getting anywhere. 
And I also get a sense that somehow we've got to get Jesus on this boat and things are going to happen just like that, you know. And I don't know what that means, what that translates to, but to me, I, I catch something there. We need to get him back in the boat. Maybe it's just through our prayer here, you know. Make sure we're, we're going with him and not just rowing for him. Um, the last thing I'm going to share here is just this, um, this section here is that we must be ready for Jesus. You know, the gospel is about Jesus. We need to make disciples of Jesus. We've got to carry out this mission with Jesus. And we've got to get ready for Jesus. You know, He's given us His Spirit and all these things. But at some point, in the not-too-distant future, it seems that, uh, that He's coming back, not just in His Spirit, but He's coming back in all His glory for those who are His. Reading through Thessalonians here recently, just I just can't help but think about this more and more. And... Uh, you know, just read this verse to you real quick. Here, the Lord Himself, he's, he's talking to the church in Thess, uh, Thessalonica. And they're going through some persecution. And the whole the book of, of Thessalonians is just, it's just neat to see. They got there with the gospel. They spoke it boldly. It wasn't popular. The Holy Spirit backed it. They shared it with love. They shared the gospel. They shared their lives. But it goes on here in chapter 4 and it talks about, you know, um, they were being persecuted in that city. And some of the Christians were dying. And, and Paul said, well, here, let me speak into that world. Here, I want just to read um, an excerpt of that here in the Living Bible as I was reading through it. Um, actually, I printed that one out here. Sorry, sorry, but just to catch the context of this. So Paul's writing, imagine you started this church, you led these people to Christ, they're following Him, and some of them are dying for the faith that you helped them to find in Jesus. And he's writing this letter. And now, dear brothers, I want you to know what happens to a Christian when he dies, so that when it happens, you will not be full of sorrow, as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and then came back to life again, we can also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him all the Christians who have died. I can tell you this directly from the Lord, that we who are still living when the Lord returns will not rise to meet him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout, with a soul-stirring cry of the archangel and the great trumpet call of God. And the believers who are dead will rise first to meet the Lord. Then those who are alive and remain on this earth will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with Him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with this news. That is just a profound passage. You know, He's saying, hey look, some of your brothers and sisters are dying in your own city because of their faith. Here's some words to cheer you up. Those who die, they're, they're going to be with Christ first, and then if we're still alive, we're going to be caught up with Him. That's the idea of the rapture, is to be caught up together with the Lord. That's where the word rapture comes from. Caught up or snatched to be in, in the air with the Lord. And I love how he finishes that passage, so comfort each other with this. Some of you, if you don't like the idea of the rapture and end times, you're going to have to maybe adjust your thinking because the Apostle Paul says, here's something you can comfort one another with, that you're going to return and be caught up with the Lord, no matter what happens to anyone else. You know, I've been talking to my kids about this. I try to let them know, you know, if things get really hard someday, you just got to know that we'll all be together with the Lord. And I try to encourage them with that because, well, that's what the Apostle Paul used when people were really dying for their faith. And I don't know what lies ahead of us, but I know we're headed to, to more persecution of Christianity than we've ever seen as a country. And I know it's only supposed to get worse according to God's Word. But we've got to be ready, men and women. We've got to be ready. You know? And I think about this. Can you imagine this? You know, I encourage you to maybe imagine this scene a little bit. Um, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back soon? What if you really knew? Somehow God like came to you and gave you this secret revelation. I'm not talking about the day or the time. Scripture is unbelievably clear. You will not know the day and you will not know the time. But Jesus was really clear that here's some signs about the season. Um, and those signs are going on all around us. We're never going to make a prediction on the day or the hour. But don't confuse that with not knowing about the season he's talking about. Um, but what would you do if you knew it was going to be soon? I think, uh, you know, imagine this whole scene. There's going to be this shout. I don't know what the shout is. We know Jesus' voice is supposed to sound like seven thunders. I don't know if it's Him shouting or an angel shouting, but it's going to be like freaky. It's going to be like, oh my God, you're coming back. Um, and there's going to be a trumpet blast. Do you know what the trumpet blast of God sounds like? 
I don't know. I don't know. It's not like that. I, this whole scene, the other thing you have to realize is that this whole scene is going to play out. And he says, you know, the scripture says, hey, when this is happening, everyone in the entire world is going to know this is happening. How does that work? I don't get it. I'm, I'm very, I kind of like the three-dimensional thing. I don't understand how it's all going to play out. That everyone's going to see him at the same time and hear the shout and the blast. But I try to think through this to, to motivate me, to kind of revive my sense of urgency. The other day I was driving early morning to a meeting and I'm backing out of my driveway. And I don't know if I had the windows down or something like that, but I hear this loud, you know, and it was uh, the train down the hill. The train, you know, blaring its, its sound. It's very loud if you hear these trains at all. They echo across the valley there. I heard it really loud, and for one brief moment I thought, oh my gosh, you know, here we go, this is happening, you know, and, and I didn't know what it sounded like, you know, I don't know what to expect, but if you're thinking along that line, you start listening a little, like, wow, yeah, that could be, that's the closest thing I've heard, yeah, but for a moment I started thinking, I started thinking, you know, um, this passage goes on to say the very next verses talk about, don't, don't let it happen like a thief in the night. Don't you be caught by surprise, brothers and sisters. Don't get caught by surprise. And I start thinking, what, what would be stolen from you and I if that happened? If that was the trumpet blast and that was it. Time's up. You're, you're, you're starting to elevate or whatever happens, you know. Um, what, what could be stolen from you? What could be stolen from me? You know, two things I think of. First one, I think of our, our material goods. You know, some of us, um, what could possibly be stolen? One is, whatever you own, whatever is yours, whatever you've earned, whatever's been passed on to you through inheritance, once this begins, it's a done deal. All your assets are frozen. You got an inheritance, you got a savings account, you got something. You know, I've, I've read stories of people going, yeah, well, you know, once this happens, people are going to probably start looting Christians' houses and looking for whatever got left behind. Because whatever you got in this world... You're not taking it with you. You came into this world naked. Naked, naked. <laughs> and you're leaving everything behind, you know? And so whatever you've got, some of you... Now, if you're like me, I go, okay, well, I don't got much to lose. There's, there's a junky little bike I got there. And the, the house, you know, we own a house. We own a house. I tell people we're renting from the bank right now. Um, it's, we own a house, yeah. But, um, but those of you that have something... It, it's going to be too late to do anything productive with it. It'll be a done deal. Now, some of the people, I've heard some people go, well, I need to get a lot of debt, you know. You get debt and you get raptured. Oh, hallelujah. You know, uh, that's not, uh, you know, I think if you think about how that plays out practically as well, the other thing that I've thought about that is, uh, you know, when it, it's going to be chaos. However the rapture plays out, imagine extracting all the Christians, whatever job is going on, whoever's driving a bus, whoever's flying a plane, boom, they're gone. There's going to be chaos. But one of the last things we need is people are trying to get their act together to go, well, yeah, man, millions of Christians in the United States are now no longer paying their debts. And they're no longer making their student loan payments. And talk about an economic crisis. Man, I can't believe God would take the Christians. I can't believe those Christians would leave us in such a mess. It's not going to play out well for the name of Jesus Christ when His people are leaving a mess behind. It's not going to play out well for the name of Jesus Christ if you're leaving treasures behind. You know, we send in our, our annual giving statement that Jeff sends out at the end of the year for, for your charitable, tax-deductible donations. There's that, that classic line in there that says, um, there's a quote that says, you know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. If you've got something to send on ahead, men and women, I encourage you to be thinking about it. If you want to leave a debt to someone else and, and let people think that reflects how that reflects in the name of Jesus Christ, you need to think about that. Um, we will lose the chance to liquidate anything in our lives. And the last thing is we'll lose the chance to share with people. You know, when that sound, when I heard that sound, I thought, oh my gosh, I probably got goosebumps for a moment. I was just like, uh, but then I started thinking, what about, what about my cousin Heather? I've been meaning to get around to contacting her. What about my daughter, Tisha? I've been meaning to talk to her a little more intentionally. What about Joe? I've got to talk with Joe again. What about men and women? When, when it happens, you, you're going to have a chance of sharing with someone you love. Stolen from you. Never again will you get to share with them. Do you want to share with someone? you have someone on your heart? 
I think our days are numbered, man. Well, I don't know what the number of those days are, but they are numbered. The thing that I'm impressed by this first century church, when you read the scriptures, they had a sense it was going to happen soon. They had a sense they needed to share with everybody. I think sometimes we get on this buzz about reaching the next generation. Oh, we've got to reach the next generation. You know who most effectively reached the, gener- the next generation in my observation? The first century church. They reached everybody. They didn't just reach the next generation. We've gotten to the point where we're so complacent about his return. We can say, yeah, I think he's coming. I'm not doing anything different about it, but I think he's coming soon. They reached everybody because they had clarity on their mission. They had a sense of urgency that he was returning. I read these verses here, and these first century guys had way more of a sense of the reality of this happening than we did. Now, some of us can go, well, they thought it was coming. Silly them. You know, I think... Why did they think it was coming? I think they were walking so closely with the Lord. They had a greater sense of the realities of these heavenly truths. They walked close to these truths and therefore they carried out their mission with urgency. I think we have grown complacent, apathetic. But I just want want you to know this. As far as the stroke God's painting for this church, I do think God has every person in here. If, If you thought about who do you want to share with if the rapture was going to happen soon, That's who I think God wants you to share with ASAP. And if he doesn't come back, you know what we've done? We'll probably reach the world with Christ in our generation. Just like the first century church did. Now if we're just thinking about, oh, you know, we've got to reach the young people because young is cool, young is in. We've got to pass the baton, pass the torch. Now I think we've got to worry about, like it said about David, he served the purposes of God in his generation. We've got to reach this generation and the rest is details, men and women. You have people in your Jerusalem. I'm going to leave with this quote from Bill Bright here. You know, he says, um, I encourage you to begin sharing Christ as a way of life in your Jerusalem. That's your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But he says this, your home, your neighborhood, your campus and classroom, your office and factory. You and I are called to share with everyone in our Jerusalem. When you walk out of here, Jerusalem is not right here on the corner of 33rd and Tehillim. Jerusalem is the world you walk into when you walk out of here. And you have a responsibility to share with people and a sense of urgency about that, that God, I think, is going to say, hey, you know, I don't know about Africa, I don't know about this, but I know who you should have shared with. And uh, I, I hope we catch that sense of urgency. I think that's going to be a part of how God unfolds things for the future here. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I just, I just ask for your help, God. I just pray for me, pray for each one of us. But I just ask you to help me to grow in uh, understanding your grace, being recaptured by your grace. God, help, help each one of us to help us to grow in identifying as your disciple more than anything else in our lives, more than our political views, more than our financial views, more than help us to identify as being a disciple of, of yours the way you define it. Help us to carry out this mission with you, God. Help us to grow in being in your presence with your spirit, going with you, enjoying life with you, enjoying the journey. Lord, I pray that you'd help us have that sense of urgency. God, revive a sense of urgency in our lives or give it to us for the first time, Lord, so that we can reach those people that you are burdened with. Help us have that burden. Help this church have your burden, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys, and we'll catch you next week.